Good morning. It's good to see you this morning, to be with you, to worship God with you. It's been a glorious day outside and a wonderful opportunity for us to be here worshiping our God together. I want to talk for a few minutes this morning about something that really everybody has to deal with in some capacity or another. Now, there's a reality in life that really every man has to deal with suffering on some level. It doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or how much money you may have, suffering is something man has to deal with. Whether it's disease that brings about destruction or whether it is disaster or whether it is death, that's all of the D words that I could think of that fit. We have to deal with all of those. And it doesn't make a difference who you are. That there is a level of suffering that's going to happen, whether it be some calamity, whether it be some sickness, or even death itself comes to us all. We have to deal with that. But there's something else. That for the follower of Christ, there is additional suffering. Suffering that not everyone will have to deal with. Suffering that you as a follower of Christ will have to deal with, but your friends or your neighbors or your co-workers or the people that you know at school that they don't have to deal with. Or family members that you may have, they don't have to deal with. But just because you are godly, there's suffering that will come with that. Now Jesus has been very clear about that reality. The reality that if you are going to be a follower of mine, with that comes additional suffering on top of all of the other stuff that man has to deal with. We just had read for us from John chapter 15 and this incredible conversation that Jesus is having with his apostles that really begin in John chapter 13 and goes through John chapter 17, if you will, with the prayer that Jesus offers but literal hours before he is arrested, he is tried, he is crucified, literally hours before that, we have this prolonged conversation that Jesus has with his apostles, and he wants them to understand some things before he is gone. And one of the things he wants them to understand is that he has to suffer because of who he is. And because of that, you, as followers of mine, as he says, you too will have to suffer some things. So it's pretty clear about that in John chapter 15 and verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. He says that the world loves its own, and because you're not of the world, he chose you out of the world. The world will hate you. The very next chapter in John chapter 16, at the literal very end of this conversation, the the final words, if you will, that Jesus will have for his apostles, he closes really that conversation with this idea. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You see, Jesus isn't pulling any punches about the difficulties that these men are going to have. That you are not of the world, you are different from the world, and because of that, there is additional difficulty that you're going to have to deal with. 
Jesus will say in other places, like Matthew chapter 10 and verse 22, where he says very plainly, all will be hated for my name's sake. But if you endure to the end, you'll be saved. Who? How many? All of us. If we're followers of his, we will be hated because of that. As Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, it almost doesn't get any more straightforward than this idea. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Does it get any more straightforward than that? It isn't anything that we are, as followers of his are in a position to move away from or to, to miss or to dodge in some way. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, Paul says, if you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. It's a reality. It's a reality. It is as sure as the reality that all man has to deal with disease and death and disaster, for the Christian, the same reality is we too have to suffer things because we choose to follow Christ. So the beginning of this idea that we're going to spend some time kind of working through is to really come to terms with that reality. That's what Jesus wanted us to understand. It's what God wants us to understand. It is, in essence, what we see. We see examples in the Old Testament of characters who follow God and just because of their choosing to follow God, huge calamity comes upon them. Two easy examples of that is Job and Joseph. You think about Joseph and the life that he lived and how he continually made good decisions. And what seemed to happen? It seemed, really for both of those men, the more that they leaned into their godliness, the worse it got for them. As Joseph was thrown into a pit and sold by his brothers in Potiphar's house, he makes the right decision, but is lied about and thrown into prison. In prison, he is a servant in every way, but yet is forgotten for years by those he was there with. Over and over and over again, Job, who was minding his own business, living his life, being a godly person, and God and Satan have a conversation about him and his faithfulness, and because of that, he's tested by having everything taken from him. His family, his possessions, And in Job chapter 2, there's another conversation that happens where it says that he has then his own life altered by disease. I want you to think about in these two instances, I want you to think about their focus. In Genesis chapter 50, in verses 19 and 20, the very end of the story that we have of Joseph living a life of suffering for God, he has this perspective. He said to them, to his brothers, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. His perspective was right. 
Even Job and the struggles that he had in the midst of the book, his perspective about his suffering was on the money. He says in Job chapter 2 and verses 21 and 22, after everything has been taken from him, even his own health, as he sits in a pile of ashes and scrapes his boils with pots, he has this perspective. He says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. His perspective was right. So how can we do that? You know, it's one thing to point to great men like Joseph or great men like Job and to laud them in some way. But for us, this is our reality. How do we handle it? How do we handle when we suffer for Christ? How do we deal with the suffering that comes with just being godly, just being faithful? I want to point you in two different directions this morning. And we're going to use the Apostle Paul to help. Another biblical character who, like Joseph, who, like Job, certainly knew something about suffering for Christ. And it's interesting, his perspective. I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is an interesting book. In a lot of ways, there's a really famous passage in the book of 2 Corinthians that talks about the suffering that Paul had and had to endure as a Christian. We'll talk about that here in just a moment. But as you do a survey of the book, and that's what I've done this week a couple of times, I went through the entirety of the book of 2 Corinthians. And there is a lot that Paul says about his own suffering. And it paints a pretty impressive picture to say that, listen, uh, the idea is if Paul, in all that he went through, can have a good perspective and handle his suffering, I can. That's the idea that we're looking at this morning. I want you to think about what Paul says about his suffering. We're going to do a very quick journey through the book of 2 Corinthians. So open up your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Listen to how he describes the life that he's lived. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, 5 and 6. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer, Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Uh, Look at verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Listen to this phrase. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even to life, he said the next chapter, chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, for out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly, which I have so abundantly for you. Two more chapters, chapter two more chapters over, chapter 4 now, chapter 4 verses 8 and 9. 
He says this, we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, his body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Chapter 6 now, verses 4 and 5. But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, he says. Chapter 7, verses 4 and 5. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulations. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside were fears. Now, chapter 11, chapter 11, verses 23, beginning. Chapter 11, verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often. In perils of waters. In perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. And then finally, that same chapter, chapter 11 and verse 32, he'll throw in, in Damascus, the governor, under Artis the king, was guarding the city of the Damascenes with a garrison desiring to arrest me. But I was let down in a basket, through a window in the wall, and escaped from his hands. Now, I want you to see, and I want you to paint the picture, that Paul is someone who had to endure suffering for Christ. Now, I want you to imagine your sufferings that you've had to deal with. Let's not consider yet how you dealt with them, but just picture in your mind what you have had to deal with. Take away how well you did, but just think about what you had to deal with. Because you're a follower of Christ, because you are a follower of his, because you are a Christian, because you are desiring to live godly, because you are trying to be faithful, think about the times when you were making those kinds of righteous decisions, the difficulties that came because of that. Now, we could probably go around the room and we could talk about some of those and they would run the gambit probably in lots of different things and in lots of different ways. But I promise you what I think 
we would come up with as a whole would pale in comparison to what the Apostle Paul had to deal with. But yet his perspective on how he handled it was where it needed to be. So for us this morning, how can we do that? How can we handle our suffering? We're going to talk this morning about two things. Two things. Two things that I think can make a dramatic difference for each of us immediately when it comes to dealing with the suffering that we have to deal with because we profess Christ to be our king. And the first is this, understanding that suffering is a gift. Now, you might think, well, that that sounds weird. That's not the kind of gift I like, right? I mean, I, I, I like gifts that are joyful, and I like gifts that are nice, and I like gifts that we enjoy and that we can open up and things that we can play with or things that we need, right? We like to be happy when we open up a gift. Those are the kind of gifts we like. We don't like gifts that, you know, bring us pain or, you know, bring us difficulty. That's not the kind of gift that I want. But I want you to understand that suffering for Christ is a gift, There's a really interesting passage in the book of Philippians that I want you to turn to and take a look at with me this morning. In Philippians chapter 1, I want you to listen to the Apostle Paul. We've talked about, again, all of the difficulties that he had to endure. As he writes the book of Philippians, he does so from prison already because of his propensity to speak Christ wherever he is. That often got him into trouble, often got him into prison as he is here, and he's writing this book. And listen to what he says, beginning of verse 27, towards the very end of this very first chapter. He says this, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified of your adversaries, which is them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. So quickly he's making the point, he wants them to think about their conduct, make sure it is worthy of Christ, And then in verse 28, he says, don't be terrified by your adversaries, by those that are looking to harm you or to cause you problems. Don't be afraid of that. And then in verse 29, he then says, why? Listen to what he says. For to you, it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. You see the wording that he gives us there? He wants them to see. He says, this is a gift. This is an incredible gift that has been given to you. A gift that you have an opportunity to believe in Christ, for sure, he says. But yet, what does he say? Not only that, it has been granted, it has been given to you an incredible blessing to suffer for Christ. 
Now, most of the translations will render this in a very similar kind of way, using that word granted. But the New Living Translation will render it this way that I really like. He says this, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Man, is it possible for us to think that way? That when I suffer solely because of my godliness, when I suffer in some way solely because of my Christianity, that I can view that as a gift. Well, I'll tell you, it's possible. And it's possible because we have seen it. In a lot of ways, not only is suffering an identifier for the Christian, that's what we've talked about. It's what separates us, what sets us apart from everyone else. Everyone suffers with those D words that we've talked about, disaster and disease and death, but but it is only the Christian that suffers in these other ways. And so that is an identifier for us. It's what causes us to stand out. But it's so much more than that. It's also an opportunity to glorify God. We've got to look at it as such. Look at a couple examples of that. Look at Acts chapter 5. There's a couple of examples in Acts. I want to pinpoint this one in Acts chapter 5, where where you have the apostles, and they are suffering because they're preaching Christ. They're arrested often. They're beaten. They're always told, don't don't talk about Christ anymore. Don't speak about him or preach about him anymore. But listen to what they say. Now, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 40, he says, and they had agreed with him. That's uh, the one that was uh, Gamaliel who was giving advice just to kind of let them go. There's going to be problems if we continue to hold them. And they agreed with them. And when they had called for the apostles, listen, when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Look at verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were let go, but before being let go, they were beaten. Beaten. And they rejoiced because they were found worthy to suffer shame. Peter will say it in a little bit different way. In 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Listen to what he says here. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he says this, Beloved, do do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. That goes back to one of the early points that we've made. We've been told ahead of time, very clearly, we're going to suffer if we're following God. So don't be surprised by that. Verse 13, but rejoice. Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings and that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, 
a thief and evildoer, or, or as a busybody in other people's manners. Yet, if anyone suffers at, as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. I love this passage because it paints that clear picture that when we suffer, we glorify God. As a Christian, we should be pining for opportunities to glorify God. We have one of those here this morning as we worship together. That's why this is something that we should should never opt to miss because this is an opportunity to glorify God, a great opportunity to glorify God. We need to take advantage of this opportunity, but these passages make the point that when I suffer because of my faithfulness like this even, It is an opportunity to glorify God, and I should relish those opportunities. Thankfully, accepting this opportunity to glorify God, it is, as Paul said to the brethren in Philippi, a gift that has been given to us. So when we're thinking about how to handle our difficulties and handling our sufferings as a Christian, number one, we've got to understand that suffering is a gift. And secondly, the second thing on how to handle our difficulties, we must focus on where we are from. Think about this. When we struggle with suffering, when we're struggling with it, when we're struggling with difficulty, especially the difficulties that come with us professing our godliness, such as we've read with the Apostle Paul, certainly Jesus himself, when we struggle with that, what type of words do we commonly use to describe the situation we're in? Usually we'll come across something like this. This is a bad deal. I deserve happiness, and this isn't making me happy. I deserve honesty. And the people sometimes even closest to me are lying to me or about me. I deserve to be treated right, not wrongly. I deserve to be treated fairly. When we're struggling with our sufferings, this is the type of phraseology we often plant into our minds. It is this idea, I deserve this, I have the right for this. We can probably, every one of us, paint that picture. I won't speak for you, but I have certainly, in times of difficulty, struggled with phrases like this. Well, here's what I want you to think about. When we find ourselves throwing out words like, I deserve to be happy, I deserve to be treated fairly. 
I deserve to be treated honestly. I deserve to be treated right. I have rights. We forget. We forget who it is that uses those kinds of words. And I'll tell you who uses those kinds of words. Americans. Those are the kind of words Americans use. We revel in those words like deserve and right. It is the fabric of our very culture as Americans. We can go back to the very beginning of our country. And in documents like the Declaration of Independence, listen to how it begins. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. What about the U.S. Constitution? How does it begin? Listen to this. We, the people of the United States... In order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution for the United States of America. What are the very first amendments that were made to the U.S. Constitution called? The Bill of Rights. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do this. I have the right to do that. You see, when we struggle with thoughts that promote our rights or what we deserve, we are only thinking about Americans. Not thinking about followers of King Jesus, I'll tell you that. Because the reality is that for each and every one of us who chose, not forced, chose to follow Christ, what that means is that we have given up We have put to death all of our rights. As a Christian, I have given up my rights. I have put them to death. I have given them away. Think about what Jesus himself says, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, how he says it. In verse 23, he says this to all. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Listen to the next verse. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. We've been talking a lot about the Apostle Paul this morning. What was his thought process about his own rights on what he deserves? Well, he has this to say in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, he says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've crucified myself. 
I put myself to death. And so when we are thinking that way, I want you to understand it makes all the difference. Because as the Christian, I I have no rights. I most certainly don't deserve happiness or deserve fairness or deserve honesty. As a Christian, all that I know is what I deserve is death. That's all that I deserve. And Christ, out of his love and his goodness, has relieved me of that. So what that means, if someone lies about me and I suffer because of that, or if I'm treated unfairly, even by someone close, maybe I'm treated unfairly or even treated terribly by a loved one or even by a spouse. Sure, it's on them and their sin but I need to focus on Jesus and what he says. As a Christian in times like that, when I am treated unfairly or even treated terribly, try to change out words like deserve and right with words like love and compassion and forgiveness. Those are Jesus' words. So let's close. I cannot eloquently close any better this morning than the way the Apostle Paul closes in Philippians chapter 3. In Philippians chapter 3, I want you to, as we read this text together, put into your mind as we close all that we've talked about. And for me, it is a chapter that makes all the points. And when we finish reading this text together... Tim is going to lead us in a song of invitation. And it will give us an opportunity to begin to consider where we are with God. Yes, suffering comes along with being a Christian. But that suffering that is temporary, minute, pales in comparison to the blessings and glory that comes from being a follower of Christ. And maybe we can help you with that this morning. And so we're going to read Philippians chapter 3 together. When we finish with that, we're going to stand and sing that song. And if we can help you, you can make that known then. Listen to it. Think about what we've talked about. Paul makes all the points here. He says this. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For to me, to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the Jews, or concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet I also, listen, count all things lost 
for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. But I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. Note those who so walk. You have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly king. Now, things. listen. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things 